Hello, and welcome to episode two of Sidereo Fire, a podcast about philosophy, gender, and magic. I am Lauren, and I am a gender. I'm Tyler, and I am a cultural anthropologist and a practicing ceremonial magician in the tradition of David Bowie. I'm Kat, and I'm a suspiciously wealthy furry. And how much furry art do you have? Binders full. <laughs> okay, then. So, our, the episode today is going to be about femi- gender, feminism, and magic. And specifically how feminism has sort of fueled the modern um, movement for witchcraft. So, I guess to start off, just what we, what we need to discuss first is... What is a gender? Um, what is a gender, Lauren? <laughs> uh, very basically, a gender is a person's conception of, you know, what how they best fit to gender roles. So, so it'll be like you would be, you would be a male, and your sure. gender is male, because you fit with the male gender role. Sure. Do you disagree? Nope. Okay, because it kind of sounded like you might have had something to tell us there, but... (laughs) Which is perfectly okay. We would accept you. (laughs) Uh, I would say that uh, many people identify with a gender despite not fitting the stereotypical gender roles associated with it. That's true. Yeah, I just define a gender as, like, a category that subdivides classes. And like a social context. So then, where would like non-binary people fit into that explanation? Right there, with they're not women and they're not men. Because I always think of gender as being more of a spectrum, not necessarily like distinct classes that you put yourself in. Whereas some people would be, you know, considerably more male. Some people would be considerably more female. But a lot of people would just be in the middle. In truth, all hierarchies and classifications are really just fuzzy boxes that, or fuzzy spectrums that we put boxes on. Yes. Yeah, that's true. So then I guess the next question is gender roles then, and how those would be applied to people. As in like, some people choose the gender roles that they take on, especially, you know, trans people pretty clearly choose different gender roles than what society tries to put them in, but uh, other people would be just, you know, other people will just accept whatever gender roles they're given, or maybe gravitate towards gender roles that are available to them, and that still that still can align with their uh, assigned gender identity that they've been raised into. Uh, very true. So the next part of this would be how does that relate into feminism? Um, and then how does feminism relate to witchcraft? Which, Kat, do you, maybe you could give us a little... Well, I mean, witchcraft or religion in general, I think, uh, or spirituality really specifically, kind of relates to personal identity. And if you're exploring your identity, it's more likely to be something that you enter into or enters into you, however you want to look at that. Uh, So it's likely to come up if you're doing something that revolves around identity as a thing. Okay. Yes. Uh, And if you're talking about feminism, at least uh, the modern 
academic feminist movement as opposed to historical or uh, populist feminist movements uh, revolves around the concept that both various gender roles and gender identities should be given equal treatment of respect in society. Yes, and I, I think I, I think most people would agree with that, unless you're <laughs> unless you're some some sort of uh, sexist. Uh, magic becomes an important tool in feminism because it is a means of reclaiming power for historically disenfranchised groups particularly because of the association through history of magic with the disenfranchised and the lower classes. So that would fit in with, like, the the medieval medicine woman, for example? Yes. Uh, There are things that we call magic now that were practiced by the upper classes, such as astrology. But you will always notice that in their own times and places, the mystical practices of the elite and the upper members of society aren't called magic. What are they called? Uh, They're called astrology and drawing horoscopes and astronomical elections. They uh, They are given fancy titles and positions of respect where magic has been a derogatory term. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and I, I suppose you still see some of that today where uh, maybe it's not necessarily as derogatory as it was in, like, um, Catholic medieval Europe or something. But, like, t- even today, magic is it's kind of something that's a little edgy. It's it's the thing that, like, teenagers will get into, like, witchcraft to, to as a way to, like, rebel against their Christian parents. Yes, and you note, and you'll notice that when elements of magic are accepted into the mainstream, they are no longer called that. We have uh, uh, we have crystal healing. That's not magic anymore because it's popular. Right, and and it go and it even it even gains a new title. It becomes new age when you go to the bookstore where you have new age and then you have magic. That's like the more. Uh, you know, obscure I guess, obs- elements? yeah, obscure elements. Thank you. Uh, yeah, uh, there's, um, and there's a lot of pagans these days. There are more than there have been in a very long time. Uh, the last time we had a, like a wide scale, reliable survey on this was back in 2014 when there were 1.5 million pagans in the USA. Oh, wow. I mean, I guess that's not that much when you consider that it's less than a hundred, than 1%. However, the number today, I think, is very reasonable to say, is likely several times that. Because the younger generations have heavily adopted this as an aesthetic. We now have uh, Mysticor as one of the most popular trending tags on TikTok constantly. Because witches who go on TikTok and promote witchcraft and magic as an aesthetic are incredibly popular. So, so, but, but they're they're promoting it as an aesthetic, but maybe not necessarily as like a religion. Are they promoting a core belief structure behind this? Definitely not. They are very shallow. <laughs> However, I would consider it a uh, call it a gateway aesthetic. Okay, so maybe people start off with the TikTok videos about crystal healing and then decide that there's some deeper meaning that they want to get into it. Exactly. Uh, They will pick this up as a hobby from these uh, cultural promoters who are talking about things like, look how pretty my rose quartz necklace is. Then when they start going, 
I want to know more about that, they delve into other sources. That's when they'll encounter uh, more things. Such as? Well, such as, like, where... What that these things mean, why they are thought to mean these things, uh, the meanings of stones that are more obscure than, like, the ever-popular quartzes and uh, amethysts. Uh, it is a phenomenon where many people are now engaging with magic in a trendy sense, but some subset of those people are finding they're more hooked into it. Uh, and companies are noticing this. You can see a response in the market. Uh, Such as all those crystals for sale that we saw the other day at, the, at Michael's. So many. <laughs> uh, so many. So much media now focuses on magic and witchcraft as a primary topic. Within just the last few years, you have things like Sabrina, uh, the resurrection of uh, franchises like The Craft. Uh, you have... Did they really bring The Craft back? And Charmed. They brought Charmed back. Because uh, I, I, I know The Craft as what my pagan friends in college would say was responsible for the creation of fluff bunny witches. There's <laughs> there's a whole lot of those these days. Well, yeah, I, I, from what I gather, the entire TikTok like trend of, of witchcraft is just fluff bunny witches. It's just, you know, basically upper middle class women who buy crystals and take on the aesthetic of being a witch without any of like any of the actual spiritual elements or any of the actual attempt to follow paganism. They just mm -hmm. want the aesthetic of saying that they're a witch. And we should distinguish people who practice magic from, say, Wiccans and Pagans. Uh, these groups largely, but not entirely, overlap. There are plenty of, say, Christians who are active practitioners of magic, and plenty of Pagans who don't believe in magic, or believe in it only in like a psychological ritual sense. Uh, but there's large subsets of this population who are claiming magic not merely as a spiritual practice, but as a practical one, who believe that they are uh, gaining power and tools to change the world around them. Huh. So what would an example of using one of these tools to change the world around them be? I think a really, really good one is the uh, global hex attempts against President Trump a few years ago. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what they were? What were they trying to do? I, I I don't remember the specifics. I just remember that they were. Uh, there was one that they actually said that they thought was successful. There was uh the the most popular spell was a binding spell, which is to say it is not a hex. It is not intended to cause harm, but is rather intended to cause the target to become impotent and unable to do anything themselves. That's what, yeah. I remember that. That's what they were taking credit for Trump's impeachment. As being a result of their hex, weren't they? Uh, the uh, the impeachment and the uh, several week lockup in Congress that followed, in which nothing really happened, uh, they claimed to be a result of this binding spell, uh, which was one of the largest ever performed and has somewhere on the order of like seventy five thousand confirmed participants. That's uh, that's, that's kind of an interesting effort. Um, <laughs> Have there been any further attempts for to organize like a mass spell casting? Uh, yes, uh, not as large, but a uh, last year, um, a particular congressman I can't confidently remember which one uh, claimed that Alexandria Ocasio Cortez 
was in a witch coven who were hell-bent on casting curses at President Trump 24 hours a day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in the aftermath of this, uh, many people began uh, a series of blessing spells uh, for AOC. It, it kind of makes me wonder why, when are we going to get a politician who actually is openly practicing magic against their political opponents? Because... That, I mean, to me, that kind of sounds like the perfect way to appeal to young people. Like, I feel like every person under the age of, like, 40 would just be like, hell yes, let's let's vote for the, the, witch, the witch politician who's going to hex, you know, all the Republicans. I think it cannot come fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a great time when that comes. <clears throat> As another example of how much actual magic has become infiltrated into the mainstream uh sephora the incredibly popular makeup brand uh in 2018 they released a witchcraft starter kit uh (laughs) containing several crystals a tarot deck and a few essential oil infusions did they really they did i kind of want one now uh you are going to have to get them on ebay because they were canceled (laughs) hey sephora sponsor us and make another witchcraft kit (laughs) uh Mm. i feel somewhat unfortunately sephora's uh witchcraft starter kit was met with uh was not very popular in much of the witch community and ended up being uh canceled on social media oh yeah uh they were they uh many practicing pagans at the time claimed that they were uh it was cultural appropriation well i think it also goes again goes in with uh there, there's also kind of a, what i've seen a very like anti-capitalist undercurrent to like yes. modern paganism witchcraft starter kits are very popular and you can get them all over etsy Mm-hmm. But one being made by a major company was not a popular move. Right. Yeah. And I, I have I have seen those on Etsy. It, it kind of, if you ever, because I, I, I've searched on Etsy for like unique tarot decks and stuff that people will make. Right. But the vast majority of the ones being sold are being sold as part of one of those kits where it's just like a relatively basic like Rider weight tarot deck and then... Some crystals and some other stuff. Yes. Community tarot decks are fun, even if they're not, like, uh, handcrafted. Yeah, I, I I, just, I tend to like the, the unusual tarot decks, uh, tarot decks, like, um... Well, they're, they're art. They're... Yeah, like the Sims tarot deck that I have. That one's not art. <laughs> <laughs> Come on! It's, I think it's art. It is very special. That's true. <laughs> it, but it... But it's it's come on the original the original Sims was actually a really like kind of out there game that had a lot of like occult things like there were all the random wrong number phone calls and, and it would be just just weird stuff like you know stuff about like your destiny and and stuff like that like that's true I I, w- I, I would pick up rent wrong number phone phone num- phone calls if it were from the people making those calls in the Sims <laughs> instead of just like some scam to get me to buy an extended warranty on a car. Uh, I always appreciate those because they're never for a car I actually own. Oh yeah, they're always for a car that you owned like five years ago that you traded in or totaled or something. Exactly. I mean, 
what if it's even for a car that you didn't ever own? <laughs> I've had that happen a lot to me. Yeah, you, usually usually when I get those, it's it's for a car that I owned like five years ago that got destroyed in a flood. So another area where witchcraft gets associated with femininity would be in the... It was sort of used as an intimidation tactic among uh, feminists. Kat, could you maybe speak a little more to that? Uh, well, more specifically, I get picked up in uh, second wave feminism as sort of an intimidation tactic against men because... Uh, while it wasn't really part of the academic part of that uh, movement, it did become very popular to do a lot of weird things, uh, including weird things with identity. But uh, basically, uh, you have women who picked up witchcraft as a way to, like I said, as an intimidation tactic. And I think you had a lot of them follow that to its conclusion and actually adopt a lot of like Wiccan practices. This is where you get... Um, What's that branch of Wicca where it's only women? Dianic Wicca. Yeah. Oh right, that's the uh, that's the <clears throat> named after that Greek goddess who had like her worshippers were all women. Diana was uh, one of the three virginal goddesses. Okay. As she was uh, well, she was famous for being a virgin and also for spending a lot of time with uh, a large court of naked, beautiful water nymphs. <laughs> All, yeah. all the best Greek gods have some some sort of thing like that. You know, they're they're just harem of ultra attractive followers. Right. Um, I mean, you, you you can't really be like a high tier Greek god and not just have your your you know your 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 court of of very attractive naked oiled down people. <clears throat> it's, it's it's just how everyone was back then. That's that's how you dressed. Just oil. Yeah, oil, oil, and then just like a cloth somewhere, just a toga, you know. Okay, but yeah. Or wait, uh, togas are Roman, weren't they? <clears throat> That's complicated. <laughs> That's outside back, of the scope of this discussion. Yeah, back on topic. Uh, second wave feminism is also where we see things like uh, political lesbianism. So it kind of makes sense that you have, like, witchcraft that picked up as an intimidation tactic and people fall into it, fall into Wicca. Um, you have a lot of women who believe that, like, uh, uh, femininity or womanhood is so sacrosanct that, um, like, you should dedicate spaces to it. Not because uh, uh, there's some kind of important social context, but because uh, you should just have holy spaces dedicated to it and... That's kind of carried on to today, and it's kind of uh, a thing. Could you explain political lesbianism real quick? Uh, it was a thing. There were pamphlets about it. Uh, don't uh, sleep with men or date men so that... Uh, I forget what the exact context was, but it is quite amazing to see like people writing about how you should not sleep with men because men are the enemy. And... Uh, you know, it would deny them uh, some benefit. Is this the sex version of a general strike? <laughs> kind I, of. I think that was yeah. the original intent, but like, the way that this gets written about sometimes, the way that people put out pamphlets for this was it, it definitely had like this very other antagonist uh, type thing going through it. Uh, something that I think is interesting to talk about is that this use of witchcraft as a as a threat as an intimidation tactic is something that has resurged in the modern day 
there is a phrase that is very common now in the community and you will see around in feminist circles as well as witch, witchy circles, which is, uh, we are the granddaughters of the witches you weren't able to burn. <laughs> uh, very popular, and many people think it's much older than it is. This phrase was written by the author Tish Thawer in 2015, and... I think is a uh, has been taken up as a rallying cry almost immediately uh, as a uh, uh, kind of a very good summary of this attitude of reclaiming uh, slurs like witch. Right. So that would go along with like the the LGBT community reclaiming the word queer. Right. It's a uh, there's a lot in common there. I think. Yeah. There's a. It's actually kind of a psychological thing to kind of reclaim positions of, of like, fear and demonization as a uh, piece of your identity, as, like, a mechanism against broader society or broader social context. Mm-hmm. A, lot of, uh, a lot of queer people, uh, trans women in particular, also identify as things like demons, uh, just as a way to, like I said, kind of cope with society being bad. <laughs> So it's sort of like, well, is it? Is, do you think it maybe some of it has to do with like leaning into the perception among the public that you are the villain? Yeah, part of it is is kind of like leaning into that perception and owning it for yourself. Um, and it's mostly an aesthetic thing, but of course, I think some people always look into the deeper parts of that when you have an aesthetic. It, it's part of the, 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 the back and forth of this entire general exchange across cultures. Um, you know, I think the phrase is, the enemy is always both strong and weak. Oh, right. That was, uh, and that also comes from the uh, Ur-fascism. Right. And the, 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 the weakness of this strategy, while it is very effective, is that you have to assign strengths to your enemy to make them a threat. And those are then strengths your enemy can claim and use against you. Right. That's interesting. So you learned to hear kids claiming that you're a demon is that exactly how you fight fascists who claim that you're a demon. <laughs> well, and it's they also it's also sort of similar to the Church of Satan, which you know that the that's the organization that has absolutely nothing to do with Satan. It's just a bunch of atheists who are sort of adopting the. Uh, the identity of, of devil worshippers to basically fight back against, like, authoritarian Christianity in governments. Yeah, the it's interesting because uh, uh, you have two different types of Satanism. One of them... Oh, you have at least three. Because well, there are, in fact... Actual Satanists. I wasn't <laughs> thinking specifically about them, but I was more thinking about how, like, you have the Temple of Satan, which is a religious political organization that's kind of directly trying to uh, reference and codify freedom of religion in America as a way to fight against uh, religion and government. And then you have like Leve Satanism, which is has like mystical elements to it and has like religious elements to it that gets exploited, but it's still a kind of atheism. It is a form of agnostic humanism. Yeah. Uh, and then, then do you have actual, actual Satanists? Yeah, you have mm-hmm. actual Satanists out there. They exist. Mm-hmm. They probably also do a lot of other horrible things. And, and uh, typically, uh, actual. Well, e- even then, there t- there are kind of two flavors of those. There are your real, embracing the darkness type, who are just generally not very mentally sound people. Uh, <laughs> Which one are the goth kids from South Park trying to like summon demons and stuff? 
Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, th then you have the other type who are about um, taking the generally taking like the the mythological narratives of Christianity and going like okay I'll take this but I'm refuting the perspective or the moral of the story and claiming things like no the serpent in the garden was the good guy who gave humans freedom huh this is kind of a resurgence so do of agnosticism but so do they also maybe worship like Lucifer because they see him as the good angel who rebelled against God? Yes. Huh. Uh, like I said, this is something of a resurgence of the old Gnostic tradition which talks about the God of the Old Testament as an oppressive force who traps the souls of humans in the world to make them suffer. Interesting. Uh, that's a... Uh, that's... You have to be real academic to get into that region of Satanism, but they do exist. <laughs> So are the so when you say that you have to be academic, are, are there actual followers of this, and are they all academics, or is it like it's just most of them are academics, or is it just something it's, that only exists theoretically? Well, I, I, uh, they actually exist, and I would say I I think uh, that particular flavor is something that you will only find among people who are relatively well read because it is uh, very theological as a topic. It's very right. It, it's reading a lot of Christian theology and then taking a different perspective on it and arguing for that perspective. Yeah. Uh, which is a really complicated and uh, academic type of move. Uh, and to connect this back to feminism, uh, these are people who, when you reverse the moral of the story, Eve becomes the good one. Oh, right, yeah, because that, that's, that is a big thing in... I, I've, I've heard some Christian interpretations of the Adam and Eve story where, like, Eve is explicitly the, 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 the punished one for for seducing adam and is so, somehow seen as like as bad as the snake and is used to like justify um right basically misogyny they use the bible to justify misogyny by interpreting that story to say that eve was the bad one corrupting the pure man adam uh, right and in this perspective when you reverse the moral eve instead becomes the one who was willing to make the sacrifice to be disobedient in order to acquire knowledge and power. Yeah, you know, I kind of like that interpretation better, I think. <laughs> I, I can't imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go figure. That's, that's neat, but uh, I don't know. It'd probably take me a lot to want to read through Christian theology. Yeah, it's uh, not something I necessarily recommend. Especially the Old Testament. The Old Testament can be really, I don't know, it, it, can, be, it can be pretty out there. like Boring. Boring. Yeah, it, very, there's a lot of like... boring. I mean, I guess there's a lot of like vengeance. So if you're like really into vengeance, God seeking vengeance. There's, there's, there's a good amount of vengeance. There's not as much vengeance as there are endless lists of people and places and rules. <laughs> Which I guess makes sense because it would have originally been sort of a combination of like a religion but also a record of the history of these people. Exactly. So, you know, that makes sense. But it doesn't... I mean, I guess the New, the New Testament to me feels slightly better if only just because it's a narrative about a person 
Like it's it's you usually the Old Testament books are structured as a narrative of Jesus. So it's like the story of a person. It's almost like a biography. Some of that is because of how they were written. The Old Testament is put together over a massive period. It's, it's written down in the 500s BC, but it is the stories develop and are slowly collected over one to two thousand years. Then the New Testament right. books are all put together in about two hundred. So they're much more consistent and like connected. Right, because they'd have to. Most of those books were written by people who like either met Jesus or like knew somebody who met him. Right. Like so, they have to be within roughly the lifetime of a man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. Some exceptions. Like, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I. I I know it gets a little muddy because then there then there's some books which claim to be written by some people, but then there's some speculation as to whether they were actually written by those people. Mm-hmm. And some of them we just know are fake, like uh, <laughs> like, like Second Timothy just isn't real. <laughs> it gets very hairy. Yeah, they they I guess that see this is what you happen when you, what happens when you try to make a sequel. <laughs> you, you try to make a sequel to Timothy, and you just end up with Second Timothy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we went off on a little tangent there, but I hope you enjoyed it. Um, Tyler, do you have any closing statements or things that you want to advertise? I don't think so. Uh, that was a good talk. I enjoyed it. Cat, do you? Check out this podcast called Sidereal Fire. It's that's, on YouTube. That's and... my job. <laughs> <laughs> well, then do your job. So, yes, check our, check out, check out, check out our podcast on YouTube Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. I'll try to get it up on more places, but um, give us a subscribe, give us a like, give us comments, feedback, give us everything. Everything you own. (laughs) (laughs) No, just maybe a small offering, like we're spirits or something. I would appreciate a decent sacrifice, yes. (laughs) Okay, Old Testament God. Doesn't have to be anything alive or important. Just important to us. <laughs> so yes, like us, subscribe us, comment us, and we'll see you next time. 